Welcome to episode 194 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, how's things? Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I feel like we're doing... Just we're we're talking. This is not something new, but right now it feels like it's more often than it was at other times. Even though it's not, it feels like we're talking a lot about the books, and they're not doing a whole lot from day to day to significantly shift our mood or shift our feeling on the team. It's kind of it's a weird spell they're going through <laughs> at the moment. Um, since we last recorded a podcast episode, which we we had for those of you who subscribe and catch all of our winning six content on Friday. The books have just played one game that came against the Atlanta Hawks. We'll just describe it as an unconvincing win, a win that they made difficult, a win that to be fair, would have been a lot easier if not for kind of a, a freak series of events that led to a flagrant foul in Yanis and a five point play for the Hawks in the fourth quarter. But all the same, after really slipping up against the magic and, probably the low point of the season they didn't exactly bounce back in resounding fashion it wasn't as convincing as we would have liked to see it wasn't a 20 point win and oh you know what maybe everything can be okay again did you feel any different coming out of that hawks win than you felt in the days since the magic loss was it just nice to at least see them get the win or was it still like well this isn't very convincing considering what's left to be done in both the regular season and then whoever they play in the playoffs? Um, probably, I don't know. I put, I'm, I've, as I talked about last time out, when the Bucks play, I obviously, and if I have to do the recap or the takeaways or whatever, I have to stew in whatever is the result. But when I'm not, I put it, as far from my mind as I possibly can, I'm just. So you're of... saying when the when the lights go on like they are now, you're you're zoned in. It all it all comes back. But when the lights go off, that's it. The books are the books don't happen in your brain right now. Yeah, that's as healthy as I can make my Bucks fandom. <laughs> I'll be honest, that's very healthy. I'm gonna need you to teach me how to do that. No, I'm not. Well, I'm, I mean, it's still it's a. It's it's still something that I have to wrestle with every day, considering I am a co-site expert. But it, it's it's I need I need it, considering the way of just yeah the last couple of weeks of Bucks basketball. 
Yeah, and I think the the other part of that, obviously, <clears throat> is that, you know, if they're going to play these last couple of weeks, and I believe they are, I believe that is how the season works, that they will play their remaining games. It'd be nice for them to find something so that we can at least go into a playoff series not just filled with... It's not even dread. I mean, dread would be welcomed at this point. The difference. It, it's... It's very real, you know. The indifference is very real. They they need to find a spark to at least get to a playoff series where we can be invested and say, okay, well, they probably won't win this, but you know, if they could just win game one, well, then we'll then we're interested. Then it's got everyone's attention again. And to be fair to the books, they are that kind of team, and we say that because they have those kind of players, but. That leads me into something I want to talk about a little bit that I really noticed in the Hawks game. I mean, look, there was a couple of ultra-obvious cases of this, but it, it kind of triggered something in my brain which connected the dots on some of what we've been seeing recently, some of the less-than-stellar play from Milwaukee. I thought it, it's something worth discussing because I don't know if it gets a whole lot of airing out amongst books fans. I feel like there's been a change in the way the team have approached games of late. And when I say how the team approaches them, that's part of the problem. To me, it feels like there's a lot more kind of individuals out there for themselves. There's some highlight hunting. And against the Hawks, we saw maybe the most egregious case of it possible when Eric Bledsoe went to throw an alley-oop to himself in what was a relatively close game. You know, there's no reason for him to do it. He did it. We also saw Bledsoe, Bledsoe fired one really long pass. Brandon Jennings, I mean, I, I don't want to get too deep into this because our last two episodes have involved a lot of Brandon Jennings discussion. But Brandon Jennings, in a nutshell, is, okay, the books have the rebound, chance for a fast break. Yanis is wide open, moving forward on your left, Oh no, there's John Henson long. Let me hurl this ball to John Henson because that's guaranteed to end up in a good shot. Brandon Jennings twice true Hail Mary passes that just were completely ridiculous. It's nothing other than going, wow, look at this pass. And in terms of the broadcast, I think it had that effect again. I think we, we have noticed that with Brandon Jennings, it's something that may continue. But the books have lost an element of, you know, let's just play for each other, make the right plays and win. And there's this kind of, it's almost a degree of showmanship. It's like they think they're the Warriors and they haven't actually noticed how they're playing. Remember the, I, I can't actually remember specifically what game it was, very recently. You, you know where I'm going when the yeah. game opens up, Yanis hikes the ball, Bledsoe does a push-up. It's like, what is going on? Because one, if I'm the Knicks, I mean, the Knicks don't care about anything right now. If I'm a Nick player and I'm like, oh, just let me let the season end. Let me go somewhere else or let me go on vacation. And the Was moment... it Enos Cantor words, if you read <laughs> Okay, that's true. Enos Cantor really wants to win. But if I'm a Nick, I'm kind of, I'm just there, you know, until that moment. And when they do that from the opening tip, I'm like, okay, this isn't this isn't right. The game after that, uh, the Grizzlies game. I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know if anyone really noticed it. John Henson lost the opening tip to Marcus Gasol. 
Giannis was visibly upset that the ball didn't get to, and they were in the same formation. And it's kind of like, how about we look at the record? How about we look at some of the the really bad losses recently? What is this about? Why have the books all of a sudden decided? Oh, you know, we need a we need a flair. We need some Harlem Globetrotters flair to our play to get things through it. I don't know if that's trying to have fun, and by all means, that's a good thing if they feel you know having fun is going to help them. I think there's having fun and they're just playing bad basketball. I feel that's a big problem that they've probably crossed over into. And it's easy to go, my God, the defense was really bad again. Or look at how bad that offensive possession was. If guys are playing for themselves, that very much is going to feed into both of those things and possibly define them more than some of the other weaknesses we see. It's it's the kind of thing that when you watch some of the awful efforts that Bledsoe has given defensively recently, which was uncharacteristic compared to what he was doing earlier in the season. If you look at, I mean, Chris Middleton, We've talked a lot about Chris Middleton this year, and, and you and I have talked a lot about not being overly worried with him. You know, his shot is looking a little better. I actually haven't looked at the numbers, say, the last five games. I feel like it's looking a little better recently. The bigger concern might be that his defense is gone forever. And all of this just feeds into, well, are guys playing for themselves? Or are they realizing, okay, well, you know, if this guy blows past me or I don't care, I'm making a job harder for a teammate. Am I just now finding things to be disconcerted about or upset about or have you noticed anything to this effect i mean of course there are a couple of obvious instances but do you think there could be a pattern in that whatever whatever the motivation the books are being a little bit showier than they've any right being considering the recent play i think it's a a little bit from column a and a little bit from column b <laughs> i okay. think because things have been so bad those stick out more than normal well obviously if you're winning like the warriors can do things like that the rockets can do things like that and the bucks are the bucks they're not exactly. in that place at all um but yeah what yesterday for i mean i've repeated my pro bledsoe stance that was really like what the hell is going on the the self alley-oop some of his what it was wasn't he? even just that it was like the other thing he was benched he was benched a hundred seconds into the second half we'll say for jennings do you know what that was for i i actually meant to go back turnovers and, watch and something i think he went like three i i mean i could be mixing it up because he was doing this a lot during the game but that's still would... a big call though for turnovers i mean he turns it over that's that's not unusual but for prunty start the second half to just be like <laughs> and to be like, you're turning over too much. Brandon Jennings, you come in. I mean, I, I don't know. It's funny because obviously Bledsoe, he, he played, okay, he played well enough in the last few minutes. He made some good passes. And his final stat line was pretty nice. But if you watch that game, I mean, he was, it was, he was bad. It was he, awful. Was, he was really bad. Really awful. And then I was... Um, doing the tweeting and when Brandon Jennings is doing those, what I call playing 500, where I mean, it's like the childhood game. I was just waiting for him, like, like John Henson to go like bankrupt. Like, those, I was like, what is he doing? Like, he's catching the one that he scored on miraculously, 
Was that the underarm hook, sort of? Yeah, he caught it with, like, he was probably a foot away from the baseline with one one foot in the air, the other one trying to stay in bounds. Like, I'm just watching this stuff. As a seven-foot man with a, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what Henson's wingspan is, but it's long. Six, seven, six. <laughs> so if that's not an overthrown pass in both length and height, I don't know what is. But it just goes to show, like, what we have talked about since the All-Star break. Like, it's not necessarily systematic issues. These are just, like, boneheaded decision-making. But it just kind of, it's a trickle-down effect of, like, these, it's not necessarily team ball. It's a set of individuals trying to have some cohesion of playing, (laughs) you know, like, to to play good basketball and it's just i don't know it's such a uh yeah it was just out in full force on uh saturday evening in the worst way possible with and you know i, I the other thing too like Giannis, i i think it was it ended up being a foul call but his behind the back or behind the or between the legs pass when he was feeding it to jabari in any other case, like obviously he's just so long and he could he could do that. I think we were be, and plus it's Giannis, so we're like, oh, ooh, look at that. <laughs> but in any other, like if that was Eric Bledsoe doing that and it was a turnover, everybody would be piling on. It's just like one of those things where it's it's trickling down effect of of just these of what Bucks basketball has become over the last month, and it's just. Uh, it's a tiring exercise to watch. Uh, I mean, in terms of Bledsoe, the one area where it really is, you know, an ever-present is in transition. You know, it doesn't have to be the Brandon Jennings-esque pass. He just makes a mess of every fast break. I know Eric Name tweets about this almost every time it happens, if not every time it happens. <laughs> but it's it's almost every time Bledsoe gets out in transition. It's It's an adventure. I'd feel more comfortable with Tony Snell running out in transition. I'm not even joking. But what, no, it's... what is what is amazing about this is that like the first, it's not even just with the Bucks. Like whenever I would watch a Suns game, or even back during his early days with the Clippers, Eric Bledsoe with a full head of steam is that's how you want to utilize him because he's so fast, he's so athletic, can put home you know you know these great finishes at the rim, but like that's just slowly eroding from his game for whatever reason. And it just, it's when you see, when you see him like in full Eric Bledsoe mode in the good way where he's doing that, it's invigorating to watch the bucks when they play with tempo. It's not just Eric Bledsoe with, with anybody and what that accounts for Brandon Jennings when he's done that for them in the, you know, this last week, but when they kind of are, stuck between gears of trying to get out on the break, but there's not enough numbers. And do I want to force feed it or all this stuff? It's just like, it's just, I don't know. That's where like all these horrible habits come out and, you know, full force. Well, that seems to be the problem. And I guess like, that's what I was going to say to you. I mean, that's his reputation coming here was as, you know, the guy's nickname was mini LeBron. You don't get the name of mini LeBron by playing a transition the way Bledsoe has with the books. 
is it a matter of the more decisions he has or the more possibilities that's not good for him is he a guy where it might just be best he's on the suns as in in transition okay if i'm on the suns i've got maybe devin booker can trail to a corner or i'm going myself you know I, i'm gonna try and blow past him and lay it in that's generally bledsoe's best option in transition is when he just goes himself and finishes with layup anything else it's like he almost gets right to the rim and then he's throwing an awkward pass sort of behind them and it's like Tony Snell crashing into a defender and Giannis is like wide open on the other side and you're going, how is this possible? It's like I a mean, bowling ball hitting pins. I, I tweeted this after watching the, the Hawks game. As it was really apparent. Like, I, don't, I don't think the books were necessarily as bad as a lot of people felt. The difference between the books having a pretty good performance in that game in a lot of ways, far from perfect, but a pretty good performance overall. And what we saw was not having uh, Malcolm Brogdon or Matthew Delvadova, because right now the books are just crying out for a point guard who's like, okay, I've got the ball. I'm now going to give it to someone else, you know, <laughs> rather yeah. than rather than I'm going to make the most incredible play possible, which just seems to be the first thought that pops into both Jennings and Bledsoe's head at the moment. I mean, they just sometimes need a point guard who's like, Okay, I've got a rebound. Oh, hey, there's Giannis. You know, that that should just be the instruction. Really, it should be okay. Brandon Jennings, you get a rebound, you give it to Giannis. Simple. That's also not exclusive to them because there's been times where Middleton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we talked about him, um, but sometimes Jabari. It's just yeah, these they have these athletes that are designed, tailor made to flourish and open in the open floor setting and you know i think middleton's uh, bad decision and transition is more likely to lead to a bad shot hunting for fouls yeah okay yeah he could he could be trying to what was once i guess the james harden still is but i mean middleton doesn't perform at a level that i could feel like i could describe it as james harden-esque but yeah he he's either settling for a bad shot or he's just trying to buy contact I would still take that because you're getting into position where you're getting a shot or having the chance of getting fouled as opposed to the passes that are just like turnovers or, you know, effectively turnovers. Henson miraculously finished one of those Jennings passes. That's if if you give John Henson like 20 passes in that scenario, probably 18 of them aren't going to end up with the book scoring. And that's no knock on John Henson, who was clearly doing everything he could to rescue those just ridiculous possessions. So yeah, something I've noticed, something that I'll be probably keeping more of an eye on in the coming weeks, but a lot more of the books just playing for highlights, playing to kind of show off in a way that isn't befitting of a team that's not going to be too far above 500 when the season ends, considering how the standings are looking right now. Moving on, I want to talk about Jabari Parker. We haven't really dived deep into Jabari since his recovery. I mean, we've talked a lot about him kind of here and there, but I want I want to kind of explore just a little bit more what we feel about his now 18 games back, how he's playing, his current role with the books, whether it should increase, and then ultimately get on to well, well, what we're seeing at the moment. What are we thinking for the summer in regards to Jabari? Let's start at the start with it all. Are you still 
feeling very much encouraged by Jabari's return. That's probably not even the best way of asking because I feel like that's a yes. Better way of putting it is this more or less promising than you would have expected from his return. I, I don't know well, if that's... Well, a, as promising. I mean, you can go there, right? Yeah, I, I would probably say as promising because... because strictly because of the, you know, uh, minutes restriction not wanting... He's still not, obviously not starting. I don't think that's going to change until the end of the season slash playoffs. Um, I would say as promising, just because Frank Man and Tucker yesterday during the game, especially after those two ridiculous dunks over Mike Muscala and John Collins, like athletically, he's as to the level of where he was pre-injury, uh, pre-second injury, obviously. And I think this, as I think we talked about it the last time out. I don't know. I keep forgetting everything because the season. Because uh, when the lights go off, you just switch it off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, light bulb. Anyway, um, <laughs> he's maximizing his, you know, scoring opportunities. Obviously, there are horrible defensive lapses <laughs> to be kind, um, and that's never going to change. That is a reality that if no matter where he goes, whether if it's in Milwaukee or elsewhere, what kind of player he becomes, he's going to be an awful defensive player in just kind of tension span or, you know, uh, yeah, we don't have to, that's well-covered ground. Um, But I would say it's as promising because until we kind of see more of him with higher minutes, I, I, I doubt he's played near over 30 minutes or or just that mark alone. So I think at at this point in the season or in his abbreviated season it's it's pretty much what I hoped to see out of him um you know a month for a, mo- a little over a month since returning. I mean his high in minutes is 27 so far that was against the Wizards. Hey, I'll, I'll be honest, it's a lot more for me. I, I mean, you touched on the athleticism. That's probably the biggest question mark. And those two dunks against the Hawks were very much just the punctuation on what we've seen overall, which is, yeah, he can still do all of the things he was doing athletically before this injury. The other thing that makes it a positive for me is he's shooting 42% from three. You yep. know? He's attempting two, two trees a game. Okay, we're talking an 18-game sample size, but he was trending up in that particular category before the injury last season. I think he finished that at 36.5 or something. And he was shooting over 40 at one point, too. Right, he was for for quite a while. He started to tail off around the time he got injured. But even as, I mean, 36.5 was probably above what we would have hoped for at the start of that season. Those two things combined are just, mind-blowingly positive for me i mean the defense you're right it's always going to be a problem and if the books find a way where it's not a problem it's going to be more about what they're doing collectively the other guys on the floor than it is about jabari picking up his defense i I think the one thing i'd say in his defense at the moment not not so much even in his defense but just in terms of well what are we looking for what are we expecting here I, i think the best chance of jabari ever ever not sticking out quite as much defensively or the books managing to overcome his defensive deficiencies is 
that the rest of the players just actually lead the way defensively. So are you saying Thon, Jabari, Jennings, and Jet lineups are not the best way to mitigate his I'm I'm not even going there because that one feels very, very obvious. But what I'm going to is if Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe cannot be bothered to defend, what makes us think that all of a sudden Jabari Parker is at least going to be like more focused or locked in trying to defend? I think if the books ever got to a place where you know they are a good team and they've consistent efforts, they do things consistently. If the books were a fifty-win team with a top, consistently top fifteen, I'm not going above that kind of middle of the pack, too good defense. I think you'll you'll find it easier to get Jabari up to some sort of level, not not good, but up to some sort of level because. You have the motivation, you have the focus of not wanting to let your teammates down. I mean, at the moment, Jabari could put in the best defensive possession of his life, and there's a very good chance that one of his teammates is going to let him down. So there, there's just bigger problems with the books on that end of the floor generally that I just, I don't know. If, if he's a guy that you need to get to a certain place or he needs to learn, what at the moment makes you feel like, oh, well, he's going to learn in this environment. So... His bad defense has to be surprising. I, I would say there's been a couple of games where he's actually had good spells defensively or done good things. <laughs> that's this is like really clutching at straws, but that's maybe positive that he can ever do that. I just don't think I think if the books aren't fully locked in as a team, you're never gonna see Jabari do anything other than let them down defensively. If he's allowed to, if its teammates give him an excuse of, oh hey, none of us are defending, Jabari's not gonna defend. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I Again, I agree with you. I don't think he can be good. But I think the best part to him being playable, the best part to his defense, not completely tanking all the positives he's providing offensively, is that you know the rest of his teammates are good and you set and maintain a standard overall. Personnel-driven more than anything. Yeah, I guess. I mean... Do you mean when you say personnel driven, do you, are you still leaning more into obviously the lineups have to be smarter with that? Because I don't disagree with that, but I it's it's like everything. And I guess this comes back to playing as individuals rather than playing as a team. The books can put no end of lineups out there with good individual defenders. You know, it's not the problem. It's just they don't they don't lock in. They don't do it consistently. They don't find a way to do it as a team. Whether that's still just a byproduct of what's been and the old scheme, which is, I mean, rapidly becoming the current scheme. We had the brief deviation, but it's now virtually the same. I mean, if if you'd missed the last couple of months and you'd switched on a game midway through, you'd think Kid was like just just missing a single game with the flu. You would you wouldn't be able to tell the you difference. think he was eating popcorn and coke. That's you know, a good that's a good way of putting that. Like I think I think factoring all of those things in, there is room for him to be just not as bad. That's not good, just not as bad defensively. But offensively, I mean, we've seen the punch he can give the second unit. Things like just that kind of aggressive kind of get up and go that Jabari sometimes has. You know, he can come into a game and get things started when even when the books are at their most lethargic, he can just say, okay, well, I'm going with this. I'm going and doing something. And that's that's definitely something they need. 
it's something that, that has real value to them. His mid-range game, I mean, we're talking about his trees, you don't want them taking all that many mid-ranges. He's pretty automatic for mid-range. You know, his jump shot generally is probably something we should be speaking about very positively. And he still has his athleticism at the rim. So all in all, I'm very, very encouraged by Jabari's return so far, which leads us into the big question that remains. What do you think happens with Jabari this summer, Jordan? I think he signs with the Bucks at a uh, less than desired rate and on his part. On his part? You think he's taken a discount? It's I don't I wouldn't classify it as a discount. A discount. A discount is problematic because lots of people say it's too much. But a discount from from what he could earn. What he could earn if he just waits and takes a offer sheet essentially. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I I honestly won't be surprised. Uh, first of all, I see no way he's not a book next season. And John Horse has said said some things recently that kind of go to that effect that they'll do what they need to to keep him as part of the team if they see him as part of the future and he said to make no secret we see him as part of our future i don't think jabari is going to be the guy who's going to rush in to to sign the deal early i mean i don't think we're going to have a tony snell 1201 with jabari or chris middleton right i i think he'll I think he'll wait a little bit, and if he just waits a couple of days, I think he'll get an offer sheet. Some team will, some team will throw, if not a max, they'll throw very close to a max at Jabari. And the, part of the reason I think he'll wait is, I mean, any deal the books look to do in advance, even if they're paying him closer to the high end, they're probably going to look for options that are team-friendly, right? And they're, they're going to look for any sort of security they can get in, in terms of injury. If Jabari waits a couple of days, he'll he'll probably have some hapless franchise who just needs some talent offer him a fully guaranteed deal with the same kind of money. Mm, I think that's a very I don't know if that's a done deal because I don't know where would he rank in terms of impending restrictive free agents. I think I think quite high. I I think the the bigger part of that is he's a player who like we don't need to be told this. There's massive room for a divergence of opinion over his game. I feel confident that there'll be teams who have no interest in Jabari. And there will be teams who have a lot of interest in Jabari and are prepared to take the risk and say, okay, if this guy is given a team, if it's built the right way, if we can cover up for his weaknesses, if he stays healthy, we've got something out of nothing here. I, I can't see there not being at least one team who does that. So I, I see the books bring him back. I see the books bring him back, though, as what could be very close, if not his max, because I think they're going to be matching an offer sheet. I, I'm i less bullish about it just because he has red, more red flags than probably any other restricted phrase we've seen in some time. I, I can't remember, maybe like Tyreek Evans. I, I mean, he didn't have season the injuries, you know, two torn ACLs. But. Right, but the red flags are always going to be relevant to the talent and the potential. And Jabari's a 20-point-per-game store. 
you know, 20 point per game score. And if he's still shooting over 40%, you know, come the end of the season, if he's still looking as athletic as ever, I mean, he's, he's a, he's actually a better modern NBA player now than he was when he came into the league. So he's, he's got the major red flags with his, with his injury history, but you will, growth. you will get a team who will gamble on that because otherwise there's a lot of positives. I mean, the defense isn't there. If you're starting at a base of little to no talent, you'll say, okay, well, we need offense as well. We'll take the guy who can guarantee us offense and worry about it from there. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I, what you're I saying. Know. Could well be proven right on that. I still think even if that happens, I'd be surprised if the deal gets done without matching an offer sheet. Maybe his offer sheets are underwhelming. That, that's a different question, but I, I think I don't see the motivation for him in not waiting to field an offer. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I don't think it's I don't think it's gonna be a uh in and out kind of free agency. I think this is gonna be a very it, it, there's a lot of fascinating free agent cases out there, but his is just because fascinating from our perspective because of the bucks and all this stuff, but just what do you value in a guy with two torn ACLs and if he ever has another one, I mean that could be the death sentence of his career. But oh, he absolutely. has so much potential at the same time. I just think it's really going to be interesting because we obviously know Jabari, but there's, I mean, Aaron Gordon, I don't think he's a lock to return to Orlando in restricted for agency. As right, but as okay, you're, if you're, uh, I'll go with this one. I was thinking, which GM will I go with? And I said, I'll go with this one because I know Jordan will appreciate the name the most. If you're Travis, Travis Schlenk, Jordan. Your Atlanta Hawks GM Travis Schlenk. Schlenk. And you've got Aaron Gordon and you've got Jabari Parker. Julius Randall. Okay. If you want to throw in even more options. Dante Exum. Uh, I'm not saying he's better, but I'm just throwing I mean, that out there. You're talking about a restricted free agent with and when's there being someone with as many red flags? Dante Exum. That's also true. That's also true. Is, is that guy. But Okay, if you want to throw all four of those in there, if you're Travis Schlenk and you're saying, okay, we want to we want to throw a lot of money at a restricted free agent, one of these young guys, who are you picking? For me, I'm picking... I mean, Gordon's the safer option, but I think with that, you're not getting anywhere. You know, <laughs> you're, you're signing up to being a team like a Magic with paying him money long-term. I don't like it. I'd be, I'd be taking the risk on Jabari. That's very fair. Would you go? Is there any of those other three you'd go for? Eric Gore is compelling because I was never, I'm, I've, I thought he's been interesting, but I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever been, I don't think he's a, uh, this, I don't think he is a building block in terms of what Jabari could become if he hits his offensive ceiling, which I think that's very possible, obviously. Um, I think Aaron, Aaron Gordon was a lot more interesting six weeks ago when he was shooting like 37.5% from three, which he's now, yeah, down. That's always... he's now down to about 33%, which is kind of, you're like, okay, yeah, I expected that. It's if, if Aaron Gordon had have developed a three-point shot and consistently done so, that really would have been a surprise in his case, and then you'd be going, Wow, you've got this guy who can do all these different things, and now he can shoot. Well, then, he, then all of a sudden, he's a no-brainer. I mean, he's like 
what team doesn't want a player like that? With him not being able to do that, it's kind of yeah, like I just he he seems like a guy where because he's averaging sixteen field goal attempts per thirty six minutes. If he's on a competent playoff team contender, that's not as high. Obviously, that's not. I mean, he's he's perfect for a team where they're just they need kind of like a you know a makeshift four or five small ball four or five. I should say it's not even a contender. Of, if if obviously I'm not talking about this in any sort of real sense. Can't happen. Salaries. That's not what I'm doing. Just for the purpose of the exercise. If Aaron Gordon was on the books tomorrow morning, what's his role with the books? Yeah. You're st- are you starting him at the five? If you're not starting him at the five, he's not getting a lot of minutes. Yeah. Like, and the books aren't, the books aren't, as we well know, like right there on the door being a contender right now. I think, I think that's the challenge challenge with him. You probably would if he was at the books, they'd just out of desperation be like, okay, Aaron Gordon play at the five. I don't know. I, I just think with that, Jabari still, I mean, potential upside, that's always going to outweigh red flags for me, for teams who are just looking to get back up on the ladder. I think he's, I think he's got that. So, yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. Let's, let's move it on to someone on the, the very opposite end of his scale in, in his career. I want to talk a little bit about Jet, Jason Terry. Um, I've mentioned Jet pretty recently. I, I think in our last episode, we talked a little bit about Jet. Jet has, since then, I mean, come out with what well, for any other player would be, I mean, some truly extraordinary stuff. But with it being Jet, you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, he said that. And everyone else just kind of accepted it too because it's Jason Terry. He is really holding his teammates accountable. Obviously, Jason Terry has played well of late, particularly since Jason Kidd has been fired. His role in the rotation, I mean, it went from being essentially nothing and deservedly so, basically he was playing early in the year, to since the coaching change, he's played 22 games, averaging 17.8 minutes per game, 4.2 points, uh, 1.1 rebounds, 1.5 assists on 40.7% from deep. I mean, it's pretty much what you expect of him, right? Even in that time, Booksnet rating with Jet on the floor, 4.1. Offensive rating of 106.6. Defensive rating of 102.5, which is the best of, I mean, players with a real role in the rotation outside of Yanis and Sterling Brown, who would absolutely be contenders for the titles of the you know, two best defenders on the team. Jet has been incredibly important on the court, and since the Magic loss, and I guess even before that too, he's been looking to get his teammates to a level that they haven't necessarily shown otherwise. After practice, I believe it was the morning after the Magic game, Terry spoke to the media and he basically called out the starters. He made it clear that, you know, they need to come out. They need to do a better job. They need to go out and build something that's there for the bench to come in and maintain. They need to set the standard, set the tone. And considering how the books have played recently, how they've started a lot of games, or just generally the kind of, if it's not starting the game, it's often starting the third quarter where it all goes wrong. So a lot of that has to fall on the starters. He wasn't wrong. 
he was happy, <laughs> although he may have been generous in that the Bucks got that against the Hawks. They certainly didn't start well, but the starters finished pretty well to get the job done. Outside of all of that, outside of the results of it, I don't think it can be understated just how important Jason Terry is at the moment. He really might be the second most important person in the locker room. And I'm not talking about behind Joe Prunty. I'm talking about you've got Yanis, and then you've got Jeff. I, I just could be completely wrong on that. That's purely my feeling. I, I don't know, but I think he may be able to get more of a reaction out of the players than almost anyone on the coaching staff. I think that's just the respect he's earned. That's just the kind of relationship he has, the spirit he seems to build up. And then on top of that, he's still giving really important minutes and he probably should be getting more. I mean, he doesn't make the passes we were referring to earlier, those full core passes. He gets the ball in that situation. He goes, there's Giannis. That, that may be his best quality. Even when he does the showy things, like when he, he flipped the alley-oop pass back to Giannis, when, when Giannis finished with a Thunderous dunk against the Hawks, Jet actually connects with the pass. You know, he even does those things well. If the books are to find any sort of form in their last, what are we now, 13 games, 14 games, or if they're to be anyway competitive in the playoffs, how many players would you say are more important than Jason Terry? Uh, Giannis. <laughs> You're with me on that. Yeah. I, I mean, I have been all season, even through his struggles. Um, and obviously the whole kid... The last, uh, last, last, um, just the miserable, the miserable end of the Jason Kidd era. I mean, we still are in, but obviously without him there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that is a good way to put it. We are still in it, but he's no longer yeah. there. Yeah, he's still having that pop- popcorn and coke. Um, I don't know. There was just everybody was so. I don't know. I I felt like he was getting lumped into like. The whole whatever Kevin Garnett has mentioned, or if he goes to practice, like everybody's, like, why is he here? What is going on? Like all this stuff, and then like everybody was just like wanting to purge any kid-related person, which I mean includes the coaching staff minus Vin Baker, who you know, if you want to talk about, <laughs> I, I don't know. No, right, that's another. Don't Jordan, just yeah, I, I'm yeah. just gonna, I, yeah, whatever. But everybody was like, get rid of Jet. He has no he's he's friends with kid. Uh blah. like <laughs> it was just a weird it I mean, talk about like I don't know. It this is just how weird this season has been. If you're friends with someone, get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it came, really came down to. Obviously, he was not good. Anyway, to kind of rein in my response here. Yeah, it might be a good idea. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean what we have talked about with this team and this year and you know the the troubling trends we see from them even on you know in victories like the hawks game jet is kind of like the voice of of bucks fans in that sense where he demands so much out of out of all the players no matter what role they are he's that kind of kind of bang the drum kind of guy and that's what you that's i mean we talk about talk about veteran experience it it just devolves in cliches. Um, and if you're not playing well, I mean, that's why a lot of people, they want to, you know, be purged all that 
along with being friends with Jason Kidd. But um, it's still needed for a team that is lacking, that is kind of, I don't know, dispirited at times, as we've seen throughout this this season a lot. Um, I just think you kind of need that guy, that guy that just is, I mean, his, it's not even just those quotes, like that he was, you know, quote unquote, calling out those starters, but like reading Eric names article yesterday um, about it. And he's talking about, you know, going up to guys and asking, what's your mindset? Are you focusing on vacation the or the playoffs? Yeah. Like that kind of stuff where he, being the Brit, being the guy that can bridge the gap between the coaching staff and the players in the locker room. I mean, we. I don't even know if he's to... bridging the gap anymore. I, I don't. I, I look. We don't know what way that is. I just think it's he. That certainly was his role, <laughs> and that might have been a pretty big gap at times that he was bridging. I don't know if it's about the coaching staff in terms of what he does right now. It's. Maybe, and more than any of the other guys, like the books are a team filled with young players who kind of lack urgency at times because, well, they're young. Not in the Jason Kidd, we're losing because we're young, but, you know, all these books players, they can, if things go wrong, they, they do have the luxury of being able to go home. Oh, well, there's always next year and the year after that. Jason Ter- Terry does not have that luxury, and he knows he's with a team that have good players, have a chance to do some fun things, at least have a couple more nice playoff runs to finish his career with. And while all of them are just cruising, to him it's like, well, this is not how I want to end my career. This isn't fun for me. I like to win. I've had the experience of that. Let's get it together. I think that's something different to everyone else. I really, I, I don't know. I don't think there's anyone you can compare in the organization with that kind of influence at the moment who's just in that that particular spot. In the NBA, it's a pretty rare spot. There are many guys going to their 40. He wants to play next year for what would be his 20th season. I mean, right now, there's no reason to say why he that shouldn't be with the books because like a kind of steady veteran is something we all talk about and we talk about, and we talk about. And I say that like with us being completely guilty of that. And we'll talk about that in the summer. If there's empty roster spots and we're considering players who might be signed for minimum deals. A lot of the time that just means a player's old, right? And the rest of it is empty. It's old. They've played a while. It doesn't mean they're necessarily going to bring something with that experience. It doesn't necessarily mean they're learning. Uh, it was another Eric name article, right? Wasn't the one about the the sidestepping into trees, which yep. Jet talked about, like how he how he's watched guys. I can't remember exactly what series it was. Who it was JJ Redick? He said in one of his final seasons with the Mavs, JJ Redick was with the Mavs. Dan was it? He didn't play with another Western Rockets? Conference team. Rockets because they played was the Clippers. The one? Maybe it was. It feels it was the Clippers. So I don't think Redick was with the Clippers when. Anyway, it was against J.J. Redick in a playoff series. And he kept getting burned by that move. And he worked on it and he worked on it. And it's become a, a real key weapon in his arsenal. He's a guy who just not only really uses his experience to kind of share the wealth and bring his, bring his teammates forward. He also is continuing to learn and hone his skills. Like, there just aren't more valuable veterans than that. Those guys are... We, we bunch so many players into that category and so few can actually deliver what he's delivering. 
right now he's so important and it's i could understand the gut reaction to laugh at us when we say you know in terms of <laughs> in terms of locker room importance who's who's the most important people Yanis and jason terry and look uh, essentially a 40 year old being in that category isn't all that great for the book's hopes obviously chris middleton playing much better eric bledsoe playing much better jabari parker continuing to to kind of kick on all of those things will be crucial but in terms of the, the direction the players are also getting and making sure they're in the right place mentally jets picking up more than any of those guys are he's having to contribute on the court and also do that and i think the last thing to mention on that amongst all of the other things like we've mentioned the things he said publicly this week that's not what he says privately no. <laughs> Knowing what Jason Terry is like, I'm pretty confident he doesn't just stop talking in private. He always has something to say. He's always going to be in his teammates' ears. You know, this team in particular needs that. They really desperately need it. And they need it now more than ever. So good on Jason Terry for one turning around his season, playing incredibly well over his last what are we at? 22 games now. I think he's played since says the coaching change. That's not easy, particularly at his age, but also for everything else. Continuing to evolve, continuing to stay relevant, and proving real worth in a variety of ways. It's no mean feat. All right, Jordan. Let's move it on to our weekly segment. We're both professionals. You know that I can force this information out of you, but I'm running out of time. Not exactly a banner week for the books in terms of forcing 24 second shot clock violations, otherwise known as Jack Bowers. How exactly have the books done though? What are we up to now in terms of Jack Bowers for the season? Drum roll, please. Fifty-six. That's up one from last week. What was your... Did you say 70? Was that your... 72. 72. Okay, you really you need the pace up as well now. I mean, mine's gone. We're going to include playoffs. I mean, why are we changing the, the parameters midway through? Not even midway, it's at the, the end of the season. season. That is technically part of their season. This is nonsense. I'm not having it. Um, oh, my God. I mean, we you can count them. We can count them during the regular... Or during the playoffs, but much like the way stats... Start at they zero come, for the playoffs. No, no, we start at zero. We'll start at zero in the playoffs, and we'll we'll see how many they manage in their four games of playoff basketball. You know, the starters when they count their wedgies, they also include playoffs. Just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, but they they you're just gunning for seventy two. That isn't gonna happen otherwise. It's, it's let's be honest, it's not gonna happen even with the playoffs. But no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not allowing it. Let's move on. Let's look to the week ahead. I mean, I was going to say a pretty important week, but that would just be the emptiest possible thing I could say. I end up saying it every week. And at this point of the season, it's like, oh, really? It's an important week, is it, Adam? Yes, of course it's an important week. They start out on Monday, Jordan. They play every second day over the next seven days. And it's worth noting, I noted this on Twitter on, I don't know, Saturday, I think it was. If you missed this, I'm sorry to be done to break to you, Jordan, because, I mean, this isn't great news for us. But <laughs> they 
have no more than a day off between games between now and the end of the regular season. Oh my god. The books are playing every second day from now until the end of the regular season. At least. I mean, there's some back-to-backs as well. So, I mean, we're here. This is intense now. Finishing, <sighs> finishing line is nearly in sight, but it's intense. Monday, they visit the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavs are... I mean, unconvincing to be kind at the moment. I watched the end of their game against the Bulls. The Bulls nearly got them. I mean, just if they weren't the Bulls, they would have got them on Saturday night. What's your prediction on the road against Cleveland? Um, I'll go Cavs by eight. Hmm. I'm going to go books. I feel like we're... Have you not watched? The I have. That's the point. I feel this is like remember the Raptors. Like I, I feel. Have you not watched? Doesn't work because how could how could you watch that Raptors game that started them back after the All Star break and then envision what they've done since? They're long overdue for another game like that Raptors game. I think this is gonna be it. I mean, I'm not saying they're not gonna lose out the rest of the week. I just think I'm going books by two. They love it. They love it on the road in Cleveland. That's that's where the books like sort of books. I've, I no, I uh, books by two. I just I forgot Brandon Jennings as the backup point guard, but I'm gonna stick yep. with it. Books by two. Jose Calderon, I mean, is pretty old. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying he's not better, but anyway, Wednesday. <laughs> that's <so> random. <laughs> I was trying to justify kind of non-ideal point guards on both rosters and it didn't work quite as I wanted it to. Wednesday, books are back home. First meeting of the season with the, I was about to say Los Angeles, that would be inaccurate, the LA Clippers. Clippers are just falling off the pace now after really fighting really hard all season to stay in the Western Conference playoff mix. They're falling off the pace. What's your prediction for this one, Jordan? I'm very intrigued by this game. I think I'll go Bucks by five. The thing with the Clippers is they are kind of the epitome of a team right now where we talk about the books not necessarily doing team-centric things. Like That's the big reason why the Hawks were able to cause some problems. The Hawks are a team. They have no other option than to play as a team. They did a lot of that, and also Torian Prince is really good. I don't like this Clippers game. I think the Clippers are going to take it. I'm going to go Clippers by eight. I mean, this is this is season deciding stuff in our predictions battle. I mean, we're we're kind of neck and neck, Jordan. This week could decide it all. Friday, the Bucks Whoever make loses, the loses their pick too. <laughs> the Bucks next make the show. That's for next year's fancy basketball draft or something. Is it? Um, Friday. Books make the short trip to Chicago to play the Bulls. What's your prediction? I think they reversed the trend. And I think beat. they'd want to, right? Yeah, you'd think. Uh, I will go Bucks by... Oh, what happened? Oh, yeah, they've already beaten the Bulls this year. I forgot about that. I mean, they're still losing the season series, so... That is also true. I will go Bucks by 11. 11 is quite a lofty number for me to... I believe my prediction was by 
books by 16 for the Magic game, and I think that just finished me off on double-digit books predictions for the season. I'll go books by seven. Lastly, uh, 2.30 p.m. start, I believe, on Sunday. Matinee game, the San Antonio Spurs make their sole visit of the season to the Bradley Center. Of course, their final ever visit to the Bradley Center. What's your prediction? This is another interesting game. I don't know which way I want to go with this. I think it's going to be... Ooh. I don't know. I'm having a really hard time with this. I think it's going to be Spurs by... Spurs by seven. I'm going Spurs again. I mean... I, I suppose the Kawhi could be back by that game, right? I don't... I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah, of course. But... It feels like, considering there were murmurs, he would have been back last week. That would seem like a game he could be. I don't know. Um, regardless, the substance of just how the Spurs will approach, even though they're struggling, even though they're not as talented as you generally associate the Spurs with being on, goes Spurs by three. LaMarcus Aldridge could have quite a nice game for himself. You know, um, Davis Davis Bertans is going to, uh, I feel like he he he. I feel like he's ripe to uh, sink the bucks on that day. Oh, if Jabari goes for a big one, the battle of battle of guys who both turned ACL twice. That's true. Anyway, we'll have to find out about all that this time next week. I mean, we'll find out about it as it happens between now and then, but we'll talk about it at the same time next week. Until then, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, Add us on Stitcher, favorites and tune in radio. You can hear more from us on Friday. We'll be back with our extra episode of the podcast for the week. That's mailbag, so you can get your questions to us on Twitter at winning6podcast. If you're going to do that, you better follow us as well. Also, you can read mine, Jordan, the rest of the team's books writing. Jordan's pouring so much joy into it every day at the moment. You can find it all on BehindTheWookPass.com. We'll be back to you very soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.